All right. Thank you very much. And thank you guys for playing. I've had several comments over the last week about, so how did you guys, you know, how much time do you spend pre-recording the music and stuff like that for these streaming services? And uh, we haven't pre-recorded anything. I guarantee you everything has been completely and totally live during this entire time. And it always is when we stream. Uh, so people think, well, man, the music sounds so good, you must have pre-produced it. No, this is, this is live. This is, this is how it sounds when we're here. <laughs> so all these services have been live from beginning to end. There is no pre-recorded anything. People say, well, you know, are you preaching in front of a small group of people? No, I just, I have Becky, <laughs> my audience. Instead of audience, I have my audience. Uh, so anyway, here we are now, um, typically on this Wednesday. So what has happened now, Lent brings us to Palm Sunday, which is the kickoff for Holy Week, which is celebrated by Christians all over the world. For us, typically on Wednesday, we gather together. This is now, Lent is over. Whatever pleasures you have deprived yourself of are now free game once again. And uh, if you gave up coffee, you can drink coffee again. If you did this, that, or other, Snickers bars, whatever your deal was that uh, was just a little painful for you, you can now get back into that and uh, celebrate as Lent is now over. And then we would always have a baptismal service. A lot of new believers over the last year, year and a, uh, half a year, whatever, that have come to Christ, then come on Wednesday night before Easter, and we have just a great baptismal service. Obviously, we can't do that. Hard to baptize someone six feet away. So I'm sure we'll reschedule. I don't, we don't even have a plan yet, do we? I don't <laughs> We'll figure it out. <laughs> don't worry, we'll get you baptized as soon as all this crazy is over with. Uh, so anyway, um, so tonight's, um, we're not doing the baptismal. We had the, the worship praise, kind of hopefully lift your spirit as you are stuck at home uh, during this time, during the time of Holy Week. And I just want to encourage you a little bit with the scriptures tonight, and then we'll let you, let you all go. Um, as I said, Lent brings us up to Palm Sunday. We celebrated Palm Sunday on Sunday, this last Sunday, and talked about the great event when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It was a major event uh, because it had been prophesied for centuries before that the eventual king of the Jews would come in riding on a donkey. When Jesus got on that donkey, he knew the Pharisees would have a hissy fit. The Pharisees freaked. Everybody was stunned because you can't do this because they knew that him doing that was by him proclaiming that he is in fact the king of the Jews. And as I said on Sunday, if you missed it, you can go back and uh, watch it again uh, later. But uh, on Sunday, we talked about how Jesus never referred to himself as the king of the Jews. I'm not aware of anywhere in the scripture where anyone referred to him as the king of the Jews. I guess maybe Herod, when Jesus was born, let me know where is born the king of the Jews so I can come worship him. But generally not something he said of himself or that was said very much by others. People called him Messiah or more likely teacher, rabbi, prophet. Uh, the few called him Messiah that he had revealed himself to. But other than that, but he comes in what? on that donkey on Sunday, by the end of the week on Friday now, he is known exclusively by the name King of the Jews. Uh, in fact, that's what the Pharisees uh, accused him of, of being a king. And, you know, Pontius Pilate went, are you a king? And um, he asked the crowd, what do you want me to do with the, the, 
who should I release to you? The king of the Jews? No, no, release to us Barabbas. And they said, well, who do you want me to release that you call the king of the Jews? They were all calling him king of the Jews. All from what happened on Sunday. That coming on procession changed the identity of who Jesus was. Even when the uh, soldiers were spitting on him and mocking him, they were saying, hail the king of the Jews when he's crucified over his head on the cross. It says, king of the Jews, the people mocked him, the unbelievers, when he was on the cross. Look at the king of the Jews. If he's the king of the Jews, tell him to come down off the cross, save himself. Uh, and then even the one thief on the cross who cried out to Jesus, please remember me when you enter your kingdom. This was the big deal. They all considered him the king of the Jews because of what happened on that Sunday. It was a massive event. All right, so what happens the rest of the week? Well, on Monday, Jesus comes back into the city. First thing he does is he trashes all the uh, people who are making money off the event and knocking over the uh, money changers tables and stuff like that. And boy, if anything would get you arrested, you would think that would it be it, but nobody messed with him. You know, who is this guy? How do, because all of this authority that he came into Jerusalem with, much of the crowd considered him to be their saving king. Not all of them. It is often preached, and I have done it myself. Probably every preacher I know has where we say, gee, on Sunday they're yelling, Hosanna, and by Friday they're yelling, crucify him. It's highly unlikely that it was the same group of people. Uh, there were those when Jesus came in after all the big Hosanna saying, who's this? They didn't even know who he was. So I'm sure it was different people because a lot of them had faith that this would be the one who would save them. Uh, and of course, things go very badly. So, uh, so money comes, he knocks things over. He starts healing people. He starts ministering in the temples. Uh, on uh, Tuesday, he starts really getting in the faces of the, the face of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. On Wednesday, which is today, uh, that's when he's over at someone's house, and a woman comes to him and anoints him with oil. It's a specific event in the scriptures. I want to read it to you. This is in Mark, the 14th chapter, verse 1. It says, it was two days before the Passover. So this is Wednesday. And the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival. Or there might be a riot among the people. Because a lot of these people thought Jesus was going to be the king, the savior. They didn't want to start a riot. So they're trying to figure out a way to secret. How can we get him when uh, no one else is watching? Why? Well, they hated him. They hated him just because of who he was. He was in their face a lot. Uh, when he started doing really significant miracles, especially raising Lazarus from the dead. They thought, we got to kill this guy. I mean, most people you would think would be believers because of the miracles, not them. They, their hearts were actually more hardened because of the miracles. Something to keep in mind, by the way. We often think, gee, people see lots of miracles, they'll believe. Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> there are people who are very uh, uh, predisposed to being unbelievers. Doesn't matter what happens in front of them. They will not believe. And that's what these religious leaders were of his day. Uh, so they're trying to plot this. They don't know what to do. And they're furious. They are livid that he came into Jerusalem riding on the donkey, giving that visual of the prophecy that had been prophesied earlier about Jesus coming into the city this way, the Messiah, the king coming this way. So anyway, it says, while he was at Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. So he's hanging out now on Wednesday. He's been there Monday, knocks over the temples, ministers. Tuesday, 
He really goes on a, a tear, which we'll come back to in just a minute. Then on Wednesday, he's at the house of Simon the leper. He's just relaxing at the table. And a woman came with him. It's interesting. He doesn't hear mention who she is. Uh, and it says, she came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke it open and poured the ointment on his head. It's really expensive ointment. Smells really fancy. And she just breaks open the jar and pours it over the top of Jesus' head. Now, culturally, this seems really creepy to us who <laughs> pours a bunch of ointment on top of someone's head, for heaven's sakes. But that's what she does. And there were some who said to one another in anger. They weren't just curious or taken back. They were mad. Why was this ointment wasted in this way? Because it's money. It's money. Money makes people crazy. You want to meet, watch people get crazy? Throw money in the mix. You want to see family go at each other's throats? Like a bunch of psychos? Just fight them over, get them fighting over money. And this was really expensive stuff. And they busted this really expensive stuff. This lady did over Jesus. And they were shocked. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. And the money given to the poor, we could have done good things with this money. By the way, don't be anal about money. Okay? You know, I know people, there's a lot of people, we don't have this problem in our church. Thanks be to God. But I know in a lot of churches all over America, people get, they think they're just being good stewards. No, you're not. You're anal. And you're nitpicking every little thing. And I don't approve of this money that I gave. Hey, if you gave it, you should shut up because you gave it. All right? Not that you can't have some oversight, but this nitpicking and every little thing, checking out what, how much toilet paper costs and all this kind of, don't be a jerk. All right? Because what you, all you're doing is you're hanging on to what you love, which is what? Money. Money, 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 money. Oh, we love the money. And even when we give it, we're still money, money, money. Check it out. Where do you go? Where do you go? When you do that, you are not being a good steward. You're being a jerk. You're chasing over what you love. You can't let it go. And you got to know where every little penny goes. Thank God we don't have this in our church, but I know tons of churches who have this. If that's you at your church, stop it. All right? These people going around, there's, wow, how is this ointment used? I've been part of this church for a long time, and I don't think we should waste money that way. Just, Good Lord, shut up for the love of God. Anyway, thankfully, we don't have this here. <laughs> As I insult everybody else out there. So they scolded her. Hey, you could have used this money in a better way. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? I'll tell you why. Because they love money. They love it. The people who love it. My, my precious, my precious. <laughs> Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you. And you can show them kindness to them whenever you wish. Which is true. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial which is a fascinating thing. Jesus knew what was coming. And God had put it in the heart of this woman to pre-anoint his body for his burial at this moment, just a two days out. And she does this. And then Jesus makes this proclamation. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, wherever this gospel is proclaimed throughout the world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. 2,000 years ago, we're still doing it. I just did it. And we're still remembering what this lady did. And then 
Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him, him to them. And when they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So again, back with the money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. So that's what happens on this Wednesday, some 2,000 years ago. Then we get to Thursday, obviously tomorrow during Holy Week. This is known as Maundy Thursday. Thursday. I don't know where the word comes from. I don't really care. But, uh, and a lot of churches celebrate this, actually, and have Maundy services where they remember what happens on this Thursday. A uh, couple of, several significant things. First of all, the Lord's Supper is established tomorrow night. This is the establishment. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus uh, washes the disciples' feet as a sign of humility and an example of how they should serve one another. Many Monday services around the world, people will do that. They will actually have a foot-washing ceremony. We don't do that because it totally grosses me out. And I just <laughs> and I just, I just don't buy into it. I can't help but think this was specifically something that was done culturally in that day. Clearly it was. Now, I had some preacher disagree with me today. I don't care. Do whatever you want. You want to wash everybody's toes? Go for it. This was something they did all the time because they all wore sandals. When you came into someone's house, the first thing you do is rinse off and wash off your feet or a servant would do it for you. This was something that was done constantly, like we shake hands or used to before we became COVID freaked out. All right? So this was something that was done. The point of it was the humility. I think there's something that we could do. <laughs> I, man, I ain't putting people's socks off and messing with their feet. But... Uh, once I'm long gone, Vicky, you guys can do whatever you want. <laughs> but we ain't doing this while I'm here, all right? So we don't do that. Uh, so anyway, the uh, Lord's Supper, the, washes the disciples' feet. Then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where he cries out in prayer. Fathers, any way this can be passed for me, please let it pass for me. But not my will, but yours be done. This is a big deal tomorrow night that happens. And then he's arrested. He's put on trial, a night trial, which was wrong. It was in violation of the law of, for what they were doing, but they ran it through anyway because they wanted it all done secretly because they were afraid of the people. They, uh, the disciples scatter to the four winds. And then Peter, we all remember, this is when he denies knowing Jesus uh, three times and then the rooster crows. All right, so this is what happens. Then we get to Good Friday. Again, we don't do the Monday a Thursday service, on our Good Friday service, we will reflect back on all of these events. So Friday, be with us, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, uh, Chicago time, for those of you who don't know where that is. And uh, we'll be having our uh, Good Friday service at one o'clock. And we will be going through the scriptures and remembering all of these events, what happens tomorrow and into Friday, all right? But I want to wake up, walk, wake up. <laughs> I need to wake up. I want to back up to Tuesday. All these days, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Palm Sunday, Easter morning. You know, Tuesday should be trash a hypocrite Tuesday because <laughs> this, this is an awesome day when the Lord just goes on a tear and rips these religious hypocrites to shreds. I don't know if there's any... Biblical example of churches celebrating <laughs> trash a hypocrite day. We need to have a trash a hypocrite day for heaven's sakes. Man, there's hypocrites all over the place. And to talk about something that could be done that would give us some good 
viewpoints of things. Anyway, so anyway, on Tuesday, a lot of the major parables that we remember about Jesus are told on Tuesday. Uh, a couple of the major ones were when they asked him, what about paying taxes? He said, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. They asked him, what's the greatest commandment? His greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. So these are some of the major statements that he is saying when he's speaking to them. And then he turns around and he just smacks these people. Let's pick it up. This is in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. In other words, they have the authority uh, that Moses gave out. So he says, therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it. In other words, which is a great lesson because a lot of people think, well, if you're a hypocrite, I don't have to listen to you. No, no, no. Authority isn't based on individuals earning the authority. A lot of churches have this problem. That's why they treat their pastors disrespectfully and they don't think the pastor's doing the right thing. They don't have to respect him anymore. Nay, 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 I say unto thee, nay. You're supposed to respect these men and women of God who are serving and you don't get to go around and just smack them upside the head because you don't think they're doing the right thing. I don't have to respect them. Yeah, you do. Uh, your rebellion will be between you and God. I promise you, God doesn't like it because to him, rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft, you bunch of little witches. But anyway, so you go out there and you smack these people around and Jesus says, don't do that. They hold that place of authority. Even though he's about to go psycho on them and rip them to shreds, even still, even though they were complete phonies and hypocrites, liars, cheaters, children of the devil, you think your pastor's got problems? Hopefully he's not a child of the devil. And Jesus says, listen to them because they hold the seat of authority. I know y'all vote them out and all this other nonsense in your churches, but anyway, we don't play those games here. So this, he says, therefore, do what they say, but do not do as they do. Why? Because they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others. But they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, these hypocrites. They make uh, their phylacteries. <laughs> Don't say it, Mark. Don't say it. Let it alone. Leave it alone. Their phylacteries. What, what that is, is these guys would have like, like little boxes and stuff. And they're up on their headbands or their forehead. And they had scriptures in them. They put little scriptures in them. Sometimes they put them on their arms and stuff like that. Uh, but they didn't do them uh, subtly or humbly. They would make them big. They make them broad and their fringes on their uh, uh, outfits and stuff like that to remind them of the scriptures. They make them long so they looked really cool. And they love to have the place of honor at banquets. Oh, yes, I'm an honorable man. Ooh. And the best seats in the synagogues. They love the ego of having the position. And they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to have people call them rabbi, which means teacher, rabbi, rabbi. And then Jesus goes into this interesting little thing here, which I'm going to try and clarify as much as I can for you. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, or not to be called a teacher, uh, for you're all students, and call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the father in heaven, nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. Now, the reason we have this a little bit of 
uh, controversy here is uh, Protestants, by and large, you know, they love to get, give Catholics a hard time, which Catholics are just as kind in return, <laughs> a lot of them. So it's not one-sided. They both go at each other. But one of the things that Protestants like to say, you call your priest father. Jesus said, don't call anyone father on earth. Is that what he's talking about? I don't think so. Look, the truth is no one quite knows what he's talking about. Uh, you have to just kind of interpret it in the light of everything else. I think the point of what he's saying, and many scholars believe, what he's just trying to say is you have one father, you have one teacher, you have one Messiah, and that's me. All right? Uh, I don't think it was actually, for, or we'd forbid. People call their father's father. Jesus says, call no one father on earth. If you're going to be literal, your children can't call you father. I don't know what they call you. Hey, Fred. <laughs> My kids call me Fred. I'm going to smack them upside the head. You know, or hey, Mark, how you doing? Don't call me Mark. All right. So they do, and we have teachers. Of course, you call teachers teachers. You call teachers in school teachers. Jesus said, call no one teachers. Well, we all do that, especially in, evangel in evangelical churches, Protestant churches that give the Catholics a hard time for the Father, still call themselves teachers. Oh, we're teachers, we're teaching the word, we're this, that, and the other, and instructors and leaders and pastors or shepherds. Well, the Bible says the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, but there's also others. So it, there's a, sometimes Jesus said things that are really hard to quite understand. And, and I wouldn't go all psycho and crazy, get too literal, and, because it just doesn't fit. Some of these things just don't fit. Obviously, we still call people these things. Always have. Uh, it's like when Jesus said, if you're lusting with your eyes, poke your eyeballs out. Well, did he really mean poke your eyeballs out? I don't think so. I think he's just making a point. He says, you got problems sitting with your hands? Cut your hands off. Do we really think he wanted us to cut our, our hands off? I don't think so. I don't know of any pastor, preacher, prophet anywhere who believes it. If it were true, there'd be a whole lot of blind, handless people out there right now because we all see things we shouldn't see and do things we shouldn't do and et cetera, et cetera. What is he trying to get across the point? Don't do this. So best as I can tell from studying this verse, it's, the idea is that there is really one heavenly father. So don't give Catholics a hard time for calling a priest. And it doesn't even have to be a Catholic. Anglicans are basically uh, not Roman Catholics. They're not quite sure what they are. But they, they also call them fathers, all right? My, my brother, Bishop Ed, is an Anglican priest. Before he became a priest or bishop, he had the uh, designation of father. They called him father. The reason we don't call him father or when uh, uh, Bishop uh, Sean was here. Uh, if he wasn't a bishop, we'd call him Father Sean. This is just the respect. This is, this is uh, the standard that has been done. Where does this come from? Um, in 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse 15, Paul says this, for though you might have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. So Paul is saying, I'm your father. Uh, now, some theologians think, well, Paul just didn't know what Jesus had said up to that point. Not very likely. I'm sure he knew what he said. Obviously, they looked at it differently because from the earliest times of Christian history, using the Pauline, the Apostle Paul's uh, description of stuff, they called spiritual leaders, uh, priests, whatever, pastors, they called them father. There's cultures where people, even out of respect, they call older men 
All men are fathers. All older women are mothers. Uh, you get a little bit of this in, in Latin culture, you know. So it's, it's not what everybody thinks. I think it's fine. If I were an Anglican, uh, uh, ordained as an Anglican priest, I would be Father Mark. A lot of people actually do call me Father Mark. <laughs> do, do I rebuke them? No, I should call me Father. No, because I'm not an idiot and I understand what this is and there's no sense. I understand they're being respectful. Uh, I come from an or, uh, evangelical background where we just give the moniker pastor, the title of pastor. I don't use that title, but I don't have a problem with someone calling me that. And certainly we shouldn't have problems doing that. And again, if you're anal enough to say, oh, I'll never call them father, then you can't ever call a teacher a teacher. And they ever can't call your dad father or anything else because literally that's what he said. So clearly, literally, that doesn't make sense. We have to kind of look. When things don't make sense, you got to kind of delve a little bit to say, okay, now what, what's the meaning here? All right, so anyway, so uh, uh, Jesus then goes on, tells him, look, the bottom line is you have one father, you have one teacher, you have one guardian. Um, he says, for though you might, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the greatest among you, in verse 11, will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled. All who humble themselves will be exalted. Certainly something that Jesus portrayed or acted out for us on Mondry Thursday. I couldn't find what Mondry meant. I guess I'm sure if I had Googled it, I would have just found it. But uh, whatever Mondry means, uh, that's when he washes the disciples' feet. He humbles himself. In fact, Peter was taken back. Some of the apostles were mortified. What are you doing? I, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, I got to. If I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. Well, then wash my head too. He says, the feet will be fine. <laughs> so uh, these guys were all over the place. So clearly the greatest among you will be the servant of all, which is what Jesus thinks. Because you're in charge, you don't get to go around saying, well, I am in charge. I everyone's got to do what I got to say. If that's your idea of leadership, and I know a lot of people that is their idea of leadership, they are terrible leaders. If you have to constantly remind people that you're in charge, that this is your department, I'm in charge of this ministry in church. Well, this is my area. You know, then you're just a lousy leader. You should never, ever have to do that. Seriously, under, under maybe the most extreme of circumstances. You lead by example. You serve others. Uh, this is how you inspire people. Leadership isn't about going around waving a title and smacking it in people's faces. Okay, so he's trying to tell them that. Um, where am I? Uh, so humble yourself. Whoever humbles himself will be lifted up. But if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. But then that's when he goes off on the scribes and Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you lock people out of the kingdom of heaven. For you do not go in yourselves. And when others are going in, you try to stop them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you cross sea and land to make a single convert. And when you do make a new convert, you make them twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. <laughs> this is a little insulting, all right? Is your children of the devil, your children of hell, and you get a convert, you make them twice a child of hell you are. This is not how to win friends and influence people. I'm telling you. He's going off and he's rebuking these people in front of the crowds. And they are humiliated by Jesus doing this to him. Woe to you, blind guides. He's saying, you're blind. You can't see anything. You say stupid things like, whoever swears by the sanctuary is bound by nothing, 
But whoever swears by the gold of the sanctuary is bound by the oath. So here's what they do. They were so anal about every little thing. They were, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Legalists. And the legalists go and they start picking everything a little apart. And what they would say is, you know, if you were to swear, well, I swear by the sanctuary. Well, you're not really obligated to keep your word then. But if you say you swear by the gold of the sanctuary, well, no, that's different. Now you're stuck. And he's saying, you morons, you blind fools. He calls them fools. <laughs> Which he told us not to do that, actually, but he does it several times. <laughs> I haven't quite figured all that out. But anyway, which is greater? The gold of the sanctuary has been, that has uh, made the gold sacred. And some of you say, well, whoever swears by the altar, if you, I swear by the altar, well, that's, you can get off that. But if you swear by the gift that's on the altar, well, then you're bound by the oath. He says, how blind are you? For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So Jesus says, whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the sanctuary swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And whoever swears by the heavens swears by the throne of God and the one who is seated upon it. Now, Jesus already by this point had taught them, don't swear at all. You shouldn't be going around, I swear to God, it's the truth. Don't say stuff like that. All right, you're not supposed to be swearing. I swear to God, I'll do it. No, don't talk like that. Jesus said, and then his half-brother James, who wrote the book of James, both say, do not swear like that. When he says swear, he's not talking about cursing. He said, don't be making promises. I swear to God or by heaven or whatever, or on the eyes of my dead grandma or all these goofball things that people do. Don't do that. He says, that's all inappropriate. He says, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be a man, a woman of your word. You say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're not going to do it, then don't do it. There's no reason to swear to God that you're going to be doing or swear all this other kind of nonsense because of such thing comes evil. So when Jesus says, well, whoever swears by the thing, swears by the whole thing. He's not encouraging people to make oaths like this. He's just making fun of these clueless religious leaders. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have ne neglected the weightier matters of the law. Let me explain to you now. This is how anal they are. Tithing, generally, you give 10% of your income. But they would get so technical about it that they would tithe their spices. <laughs> that if you had a little bit of dill, you should take 10% of the dill. And then you got a little cinnamon. Well, okay, keep it, but cut 10% of the cinnamon. And these guys were seriously anal about all this stuff. So you're so nitpicky about all these things, and then you neglect the more important things like justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. Now, Jesus never let them off of tithing. People say, well, Jesus said you didn't have to tithe. Nay, nay, I say unto thee, nay. He says exactly here. Yeah, you should keep doing that stuff. But don't forget the more important things, justice, mercy, and faith. Um, he says, you blind guides, you Strain at a gnat, but swallow a camel. Seriously, if you're dense enough that you've got to take your spices in your cabinet, <laughs> what did they do with them? <laughs> we ever have anybody give us spices? <laughs> Bobby, throwing some of your cinnamon in there. Maybe, what, 10%? I mean, you are clearly anal at this point. You talk about straining it. They were straining at religious little measurements that they had, but yet in their heart, they were evil. It's just because you do this stuff doesn't make you righteous. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they're full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. He is hammering these guys. This is kick the butt of a hypocrite Tuesday, man. I'm telling you, he's going off on them. So you also on the outside look real righteous to other boys. You look good to everybody else, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Wow. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. What is he talking about? It, the people who killed the prophets were the religious leaders of their day. <laughs> so these guys are saying, well, if it had been us, oh, we wouldn't have done that. You know, these are very people trying to kill Jesus, right? No, we wouldn't have done that. He says, thus you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murder the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your ancestors, you snakes, you brood of vipers. Can we increase the insults here? How can you escape being sentenced to hell? <laughs> Ouch. Therefore, I send you prophets, sages, and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town, so that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barakiah, whatever, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come upon this generation. And what he's telling them is, you go after people who are righteous still to this day. You will continue to do it. And when you do that, all the guilt of all the righteous who have been slain from the time of Abel through to the last prophet Zechariah till now, all of that is going to go on your heads. He is proclaiming a level of death, damnation, rebuke, hellfire to these people. And they are not taking this well as most of you would not. I mean, they were livid, furious. And then he leaves the city on this Wednesday and when he gets along with his disciples, he starts talking about the end of the world. And when he comes in his last days, you can check that uh, up on that uh, yourself. But anyway, this is fascinating stuff. Then on Wednesday, he sits back at his friend's house this woman comes and anoints him with this very expensive oil, which mortified all the nitpicks about money, uh, but knowing that this was anointing him for his death. And then comes Thursday, the Lord's Supper. All the stuff we will reflect in one service on Friday at 1 o'clock Central Time. That is Chicago time for those of you who don't know where central time is. Anyway, so this is what's happening. This is what we're remembering uh, during this uh, week known as Holy Week. I want to encourage you, get uh, your Bible out, just read along. Start where it talks about him riding on the colt uh, into Jerusalem, and then just keep reading. Watch what he says. Watch how he teaches. Watch how he just goes off on the... I just picked a part of it, but how he... And, and the, the Pharisees got mad. He says, because he would tell these parables and... They knew he was talking about them. <laughs> I mean, and then he goes off on them. Just absolutely goes off on them. And on Thursday, uh, they finally uh, 
well, on Wednesday, they find out that Judas is going to betray him. They make it all happen by Thursday night. And by Friday, they crucified him, thinking they are finally done with him, but they are far from being done with him. Anyway, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us, Lord, during this rebuke a hypocrite <laughs> time of the week, particularly on Tuesday. Uh, help us not to be hypocrites. Help us not to be phonies. Help us not get all psychotic with money and stuff. Help us just not, not, not be greedy and, and analyzing every little step that other people make and judging people and making it hard. The Pharisees literally would make it hard for people to get into the kingdom of God. Help us not to go around proclaiming who can't get into the kingdom of God, but to go around celebrating all can. Because whosoever would believe can have eternal life. Let that be our cry this week. We thank you for it. We're looking forward to our service on Good Friday and for our celebration this Sunday morning on Easter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. We have, oh, oh, I forgot, I forgot, I forgot. Don't go away. I'm supposed to do this at the beginning. You should have yelled at me, my one audience. We got a bunch of people who gave greetings. I want you to see some, some of our people from our Celebration Church gave some shout outs. I want you to check this out. Got her Wednesday night sweatshirt on, and she's catching you live. Hi, uh, I'm Rick Berg, and this is my wife Sherry. Uh, I personally have one thing in particular I'm grateful for because this lady here has been in lockdown with me for three weeks now, and yet here I am, still alive, not buried in the backyard. We'll take that one day at a time, hon. <laughs> We miss you guys. We miss you a lot. We can't wait to get back together again. But I am secretly enjoying this. We work opposite, and so we only see each other like half as much as most people. And um, I get to see him more now. I don't have to share him with anybody, and I really like that, that when we're off together, I get him all to myself. Hi, we're the Hoppies, and we live in De Pere, Wisconsin. We've been keeping busy this quarantine by working from home and doing school online. Hi everyone, my name is Emily and today I just wanted to share with you a quick message of something that's been on my heart recently, but I more so ask, why are we reacting like this? I believe that he can use even the most difficult circumstances to change our lives for the better. And I just want everyone to remember that our God is healer, our God is redeemer, and our God is savior. And he will bring us out on top of this difficult circumstance. My husband and I, we have um, six kids, so right now we have eight mouths to feed every day. Even a couple mornings even, when I go out to the back porch and um, am surprised to find a couple bags of breakfast, food, or a meal for that day. There was a gift card to a grocery store. It's a great opportunity to give God glory and praise for His faithfulness. Whatever you have going on right now, know Please know that you can lean hard into God. (laughs) 
So we got engaged. Social distancing, people. There you go. Greetings from some of our Celebration family. God bless all you guys. Have a fabulous next few days. We'll see you Friday afternoon at 1 p.m. God bless.